Rough Trade are giving away a free album exclusively to 101 part-time jobs listeners. That's you. Become a member of Rough Trade Club New Music and you'll receive the Rough Trade album of the month straight to your door every month on an exclusive vinyl pressing with exclusive bonus material. Club members have received exclusive pressings of albums from Sufjan Stevens, Sprints, The Last Dinner Party and Over Mono, just to name a few, this past year alone. Sign up using the promo code 101POD this March and you'll get the Rough Trade Album of the Month exclusive pressing of Masterpiece's debut, How to Make a Masterpiece, on green and yellow swell vinyl, completely free of charge. You'll also get free shipping on all orders, 10% off at the bar and on secondhand vinyl in-store, and exclusive access to sold-out Rough Trade events. Don't want Album of the Month but still want all the benefits? Sign up to the standard tier using 101POD and you'll still get the first month free. So don't hang around. This offer is only available in March and limited to the first 150 signups. Go to roughtrade.com club and sign up with the voucher code 101POD. That's 101POD and claim your first month free. This offer is available to UK residents only. Do you play in bands? I did for the longest time. And I wish that I knew that DistroKid was a thing. I don't even think it existed back then. DistroKid makes music distribution fun and easy with unlimited uploads. And artists keep 100% of your royalties and earnings. A million plus artists rely on DistroKid to get their music on Spotify, Apple, YouTube, TikTok, Tidal, Instagram, and all the major streaming services. When you get DistroKid, you can see a DistroKid bank and withdraw your earnings. You get notified when you've earned royalties and you can withdraw via the app. And you can even check your streaming stats on Spotify and Apple. Get 30% off your first year on DistroKid by going to distrokid.com slash VIP slash 101pod. 30% off for your first year. That's not bad. We know it's a tough world out there. Why don't you make it easier for yourself? And to get 30% off that free year as an artist where you get 100% of your royalties and earnings, go to distrokid.com slash VIP slash 101pod. All right, stay with me. I'll be right back after this. Does Monday at the office feel like a storm? Not with Microsoft Copilot. That feeling when Copilot gets everyone up to speed instantly? It's sunny again. When Copilot simplifies complex data so your teams can act, that sun's shining on a beach. And when Copilot uncovers hidden insights, you're on that beach with your people and you find buried treasure. That's Microsoft Copilot. Learn more at Microsoft.com slash AI for all. This episode is brought to you by Paramount Plus. Get in, loser! Mean Girls is now streaming on Paramount Plus. Join Katie Heron as she meets the plastics and Tina Fey's new twist on the modern classic. Get ready for more of the rumors, backstabbing, and jokes you loved from the original movie with some fetch surprises. Rated PG 13. Wear pink and head to ParamountPlus.com to try it free. You're listening to 101 Part-Time Jobs Podcast. I'm Giles Bitter, and I speak to musicians and artists about how they've survived doing what they do, how they've made it work for them. I'm so excited to welcome Mera Bai, a.k.a. Karthik, to the show. Mera Bai's EP, Future Proofing, is out now on Moshi Moshi. I'm holding it in my hands right now. The artwork is absolutely fantastic, and I'm so glad I got to speak to him on the show. 
His music, as you can hear behind this, is some interesting stuff. And I'm glad to dig into a world that's not so familiar to me. So thanks for joining me with that. It's been a couple of weeks since I released an episode. That's partly due to the fact that I released a book, 101 Part-Time Jobs, Conversations with Working Musicians, which features stories from Thurston Moore, Tim Burgess, Marika Hackman, Izzy B. Phillips from Black Honey, and a dozen others. I'm down to my last few copies, but if you're quick, you can go to 101parttimejobs.com to get yours. Thank you so much for keeping up with this podcast. I love doing it. It's a great feeling, and I'm glad that we get to share this together. East London's Signature Brew have been brewing music-inspired beers since 2011. They've brewed beers with Mastodon, Idols, Sports Team, Craig Finn, and a whole bunch more. And if you go onto their website, signaturebrew.co.uk, if you make an order to get some lagers, some beers, some other drinks delivered straight to your door, if you use the voucher code 101podcast, all capitals, you can get 10% off your order. That's UK only. Thanks for listening. I love having these conversations. Here's Mera Bai and 101 part-time jobs. Go well. I kind of like wrote two EPs and have the second one ready and now I've come back on it and it just doesn't feel, it doesn't feel alive right now. It doesn't feel relevant. And rather than, you know, spent time kind of rejigging things and making it feel alive now, but I've kind of just gone back and been like, well, I need to, I need to kind of catch those ideas now. Because I imagine you're always trying to think ahead and trying to plan too much, perhaps. Oh, totally. This is this is the bane of my life, being in the music industry, always constantly, constantly trying to get ahead, but perpetually being behind, you know, just like <laughs> one rung behind in the hamster wheel. Recently, I've just been thinking with like social media and all this stuff. Sometimes you end up feeling a bit like a dog chasing your tail, but um, actually you just need to step back and... I don't know, just take a moment, like even with writing, it's like, well, rather than getting ahead of myself, I just need to take a few steps back from things and just, I don't know, and just catch those ideas. Yeah, it feels very uh, apt right now to me. How how long do you think, you know, can you put a date on when, you know, you started to have that kind of discipline? Obviously, you were in Flamingods before. I mean, were you doing DJ producer stuff around that time as well from 2000 and 2010? Yeah, well, I mean, I'm still in Flamingod, so still writing records uh, with those guys and going in. And uh, yeah, we've just we've just finished uh, we, over lockdown. We wrote basically two albums worth of stuff. But I was just tinkering with stuff. I was I used to put on a lot of club nights um, back in like 2000 and I guess 10, 11. I was doing like a, a lot of warehouse parties and raves and stuff like kind of the squat raves. Um, so I've, I'd always been DJing and that was a bit more towards the sort of underground club scene, like techno garage, that stuff. Like mm. before it was cool, man. No, I'm joking. But um, <laughs> like um, I was doing that back then. And I guess with this, with the new project with Maribai, it was kind of like marrying the kind of global influences of Flamingods and very much my upbringing and my background with my sort of, I don't know, the the musical output that I'd kind of been building myself into the last, or the kind of community I'd been building myself into the last yeah, I guess, fuck, that's 10 years ago. Man, I'm old. I, looking at it, you know, I think it's cool how in Flamingods, you know, there is a, you know, you, I, I guess you're written about as a rock band, right? And yeah. then, you know, you're, you're a DJ producer. And I think that's very cool that you can do both. Because I think a lot of people might feel the pressure to pick one, maybe. Yeah, definitely. And I think a lot of stuff that you listen to or a lot of artists, I don't know who are around, a lot of the ideas that they catch 
are the same thing. It's like they listen to the same stuff that they produce. So it's not really, without sounding like a, a, a tosser, it's not really innovative or groundbreaking. It doesn't need to be. But like when you catch these ideas, when it's like new stuff or something, you, when your influences or inspiration is like totally left field, you come up with more, for me, refreshing things. That's that's just personal opinion. Like I was listening to your podcast with the, the guy from um, Viagra Boys and you guys were talking about Refused. And I was like, oh man, I love Refused so much. Um, and I, it was funny to have that throwback, but like, you know, being reminded of things that, yeah, I don't know. It, and then kind of jump back into listening to that stuff. And I guess it's just, I don't know, it just keeps things a bit more exciting for me, really having these these different uh different oases of of inspiration i think refused to kind of one of those bands are in punk and guitar music i think a lot of it you know unintentionally becomes quite cliquey and i think that refused are one of those bands that for me anyway and, and people that i've met throughout my life have completely succeeded in not being cliquey you know to a appeal to different kinds of characters i've met along my way Oh, definitely. Yeah. Like I was thinking uh, at that t- that same time about all the stuff I used to listen to, like Black Flag, Minor Threat, Bad Brains, all that mm-hmm. stuff. And that is, it has in and of itself become a bit of a cliche. That's not the kind of thing I'd proudly be like, yeah, I used to listen to that stuff because to me, it's so tied in with this, uh, I don't know, these scenes. But yeah, you're right mm-hmm. about Refuse. They've, they have, I mean, in from my perspective, managed to avoid that, which I think is really cool. Before 2010, had you had much experience, you know, getting organized, I suppose, uh, you know, for your music, for your creative output? Um, At school, I was in like a few bands. And then when I got to London, um, I, yeah, I met Kamal and the guys from the band. And then that became very quickly something that uh, became quite important to us. So I think from that point, um, Yes. And from before then, music was always quite a central point of my life, but never in the organized sense. Organization in the sense that I would, you know, spend lots of time playing instruments and practicing and thinking about music and and diligently categorizing my gigabytes and CDs of music that I've accumulated over the years. Um, but yeah, not not other than that, really. So I guess not really since pre-2009. And you were kind of thrusted into a position where you had to. I guess when you work as a group, you kind of fall into that, don't you? Yeah, definitely. And, you know, for better or worse, our, you know, our circumstances have kind of made us push harder, like with Kamal having to leave the country, thanks to Theresa May um, and the guy and a couple wow. of the guys moving to uh, Dubai and Bahrain and then coming back. So we were really, uh, you know, at times it was fraught, but we really had to kind of push for it, which I guess reaffirmed the idea that music was very, you know, important to us. That's something you're not really taught, is it? Being shafted into a position where you like where you like that and you have to really, you know, no one teaches you to take control or communicate with someone like that, do they? Yeah, no, exactly. That's the thing. And yeah, I was for some reason thinking about this the other day as well. And I didn't study music. Um, I actually studied design, which I guess we'll probably get into talking about jobs and stuff. I think the beauty of the situation for me was that I've always had to really strive to make sure that music is a part of my life. Whereas oftentimes you find, or for me anywhere, a lot of the friends that I at one point envied who went to music school, they don't do music anymore. As often is the case, not always, not exclusively, but you know they're put in a position where 
they're just they get to do music all the time sounds idyllic but um you know when you have to kind of push for something um having that sort of duality um in your life it causes I don't know for me it, it stirs something and makes me realize what's important to me in recent years actually so I, I I currently work at rehab um a chef and I've been working there for a few years and actually I love it so much you know um and I'd been dressed into a situation where well it was I think it was it's been such a blur but I think it was shortly after I lost my dad a few years ago when I was like I just don't even know what to do with myself I need some kind of something so I just went on Gumtree and the first job I found was a, a, a job working at this fairly high profile rehab um and as a chef and I just managed to bag the job and I've always been into food and cooking and and spent loads of time growing up around the kitchen as a as a as a kid um bonded with my family over the you know the, that very thing and and somehow locked, lucked out and got it but I've, I've managed to find myself in a situation where I um I don't know, I get to do something I totally love, but it's not just that because it seems like the dream is just to do music, but that's not at all what I want. Even if I was to be totally financially stable, which I'm certainly a far way off from, I, I just just having this this dichotomy just feels so valuable to me. There'd be, you know, over the last couple of years, there'd be times where I'd literally play a couple of shows, get off a flight, get back home, close my eyes for like 20 minutes, get the... 5am train in the morning and go to rehab and chef and I'd be so happy that's intense I love it I mean maybe maybe I'm you know naturally I found myself in a fortuitous situation through various circum unfortunate circumstances but and you know and not everyone has that I appreciate that for sure and I'm, I'm very lucky to be in the situation I'm in but I'm yeah at the same time I'm really savoring this this moment because I don't know how long it would last for that actually I get to have this duality rather than you know, I, I need it, sure, but there may come a point where it's like, well, you just have to have all hands on deck uh, with music. You can't be doing another job, which is something, you know, right now I'm kind of floating in this. I'm really lucky to get to do both. It's stating the blooming obvious, but it must be so amazing knowing that you're working somewhere that's creating positive change. Yeah, definitely. I mean, that's a huge part of the reason that I love working there. Food's good for the soul, isn't it? Yeah. Oh, completely, completely. Um, and I get to, yeah, I get to engage with people and provide, you know, nourishment for them that helps and do whatever little I can to help, which feels really good. And it's funny having this dichotomy again from being on tour and being surrounded by drugs and alcohol and partying to being in rehab, um, you know, at like a, you know, being getting in there for six and cooking, cooking up a breakfast and, and yeah. people, which is funny. But yeah, it's just, has that changed the way you look at drugs and alcohol? Yeah, entirely. Yeah, um, just viewing it in this new way and understanding, I guess, understanding addiction as well. Which I don't know. So again, I'm, I'm going off on a tangent, but it's it's just no, another one of these very misunderstood things it's a mental health issue and it's a spectrum in the same way that autism is people I think it's just it's been glamorized and bastardized in in popular culture as this thing that people who are badly behaved do but actually it's not people are predisposed to certain behavior patterns because of you know brain chemistry or whatever there's there's like ADHD as well people are only now understanding because I I also have ADHD that it's something when you're young, it's like, oh, that kid's extremely naughty. 
or like how dyslexia has now become understood as something very different than it used to be, uh, you know, taken as where like people would just be like, oh, badly behaved. But now it's obviously far more, it's received far more research. And you realize how quickly things become dated as well. Mm. Um, in the same or like people's opinions and, and, and knowledge that we have and, and, and jokes and things that are appropriate to make on on television or whatever yeah how quickly they become dated but yeah so has it changed my view yeah totally um and I kind of over the last uh, maybe couple of years or yeah since I lost yeah I guess yeah since I've had a few family grievance like a few, lost a few family members I just kind of completely went off drugs and alcohol and whatever you know all of that stuff um mm just being around it even I mean I'd be fine but I just kind of abstained from um from yeah from 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 drinking and stuff um for ages just to keep my kind of uh I don't know just a level of clarity it does feel good not drinking doesn't it I mean I think especially when making art is your thing you know I was watching a Prince documentary the other night and you know after after a show they wouldn't get drunk they'd be going into the studio yeah, I know. Yeah, yeah. That I, I've heard that a lot. It's it's great. I mean, the thing is, at the same time, I think they are. I mean, it is what it is, and people have been getting intoxicated since the beginning of the dawn of mm. time. And I don't think there's any real merit in abstinence. That, like, you know, this whole straight edge hardcore, you know, hardcore scene. Like, I know that was a real thing. Vegan, straight edge, like whatever. I don't think that that really. Um, that really implies any merit but it, yeah for sure it makes it does make you feel better and I don't necessarily think I, I, it's just like what works for whoever you know some people are better not to drink at all some people are better to drink occasionally some people need a drink every night and that's fine like you know some people have a drink every day and they're also fine with that you know do you remember your first few days at, at the rehab it was so overwhelming um because I was just thrown in, I was kind of thrusted into it. It was like, I did what I thought was going to be an interview, showed up in a, like a really nice shirt and trousers. And they were like, here, put this apron on, just shadow me around the kitchen. I was like, okay, like, um, just like helped cook up a meal for like, I think at that time, maybe like 12 or 30 and very bolshy characters were really lovely as they always are. But, um, and then the next, they were like, "Call, we'll call you." And like, I started the following week by myself, like six a.m., doing all of the the things. And that was like menu planning, um, figuring out like what I'm going to cook for every meal and 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 ingredients and all this stuff for like twenty people. Um, very much thrusted into it, but yeah, it was quite. I remember it being quite overwhelming and like really navigating, uh, engaging with people and communicating and in a new environment you know it's like yeah yeah which was really interesting it's I don't know really really good for my brain to have to do that it's quite intimidating isn't it especially food it's such a personal thing I imagine the pressure might be maybe tough to deal with oh man I was shitting myself <laughs> this first few days <laughs> I was absolutely bricking myself because it's like it is so personal and if if they didn't like what I made or whatever I don't know it was it, it just felt so I was terrified and I do occasionally go through periods of, of being a bit worried, but I find that people are really grateful there. There's like a lot of gratitude expressed and people are happy because I found with other people who've worked there, other people who work jobs, if you don't really want to do the job, it's often a means to an end. So there isn't really that passion or love there. 
which is communicated. People get it. And, you know, if you're making shit food because you don't want to be there, which has happened, not by me, people get it. Whereas if you want to be there, that's kind of communicated in a way. Or for me, it's been communicated. Creating a sense of value or understanding or, I don't know, making the most of a, of a situation, knowing that there's some in some way that you're benefiting from it. I think it is quite easy to think you you know you're just doing this job and it actually doesn't mean anything you know I think a lot of people might feel that before this I was doing I was like after graduating from uni I was trying to figure out what the hell I was doing and working in design and doing like shop stores and making furniture and stuff and I guess it just wasn't really what I wanted to do it felt like an uphill uphill battle interesting um, how you feel it through your body you know your body tells you sometimes doesn't it yeah totally totally and I just didn't get it it just felt like I needed to push harder um which had kind of always been my ethos just to really just work hard like really nose to the grindstone if if I can spend all of my waking hours working I will which I'm trying to uh, you know kind of habits I'm trying to unlearn now mm. um but I've kind of yeah I guess I'm lucky to be in the situation now where I'm I'm unlearning those things and those habits and 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 working in a job which I really enjoy and getting to do music as well. What was your story at at uni and doing design kind of you know which which one came first out of those two? Um so yeah I mean I I was at Camberwell College of Art and I did a I did a foundation and degree in design and that always seemed like the kind of more stable route than than p- pursuing what would be a career in music you know so I was like well good to have options um and yeah I guess it was I mean I, I loved it and I'm also very very grateful that I studied that because I don't know it's just given me a more well-rounded view and ability to you know to have uh, critical thinking about mm. stuff that I wouldn't if I was just studying music and practicing my instrument often all my instruments I would often think oh man I wish I was better maestro at whatever and you know like the the level of technical proficiency at my instruments that you know x y or z is but I guess I have other skills which I've been imbued with from my you know having a kind of more diversified background which I'm I'm glad I am glad about and you studied design at at Campbell. Yeah, 3D design. It was kind of quite open-ended. Uh, so we were oh. allowed to do whatever we want. It was kind of like the the brainchild of sculpture and, and product design. So it wasn't like sat behind a computer doing CAD renderings all day. There was like one year where I've, I specialized in doing like experimental food design. And, and then I kind oh, wow. of flitted between doing that and uh, and furniture. And that was just a year and making stuff. It was, it was quite hands-on. Uh, but yeah, it was a lot of like development and critical thinking and everyone in my class was doing different stuff. There's there people who are jewelers, people who are product designers, people who ceramicists, everyone's done, well, everyone's done pretty well for, for themselves. Brilliant. Um, which is nice to, to have been around, um, I don't know, the kind of genesis of all these ideas yeah. in this one sort of melting pot. I suppose that must have taught you something about how you self-identify you know how you see yourself as a as an artist that is naturally going to create something that's subjective yeah exactly definitely and seeing everyone I don't know express themselves but also develop themselves for 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 me looking back I guess it's a real period of development and seeing where people have ended up which is often very well in in that situation very different from where they were or also very you know kind of very much on the same path for some people and just interesting looking at that and thinking about, you know, how people ended up where they did and pathways. 
But when you finished that course, was there a would was there any kind of expectation of yourself to pursue music or tour for the rest of the for the rest of you know for many years at a time? Was there any of that going on? Well, I think we were just touring as and when, but that that was the point in time when Kamal had left. So we were just touring over summer. Kamal and Charles had left actually. We were just touring over the summer and winter periods and cramming it in. And then over the year, I was I was put, uh, running club nights for, for those couple of years a lot more regularly at like a uh, building in Corsica Studios and uh, book club. Right. And that was kind of after the, the period of, that was when, when all the warehouses had been shut down um, basically and turned into fancy, into posh apartments. Um, I remember my first warehouse party. I think I was about 18 and it was somewhere along the river up by um, the marshes. Oh, and no. I just remember being so fascinated. For a, I was terrified, and B, I was so fascinated about how well organized it was. And also, I mean, it must have been a fiver or tenner on the door. And I was thinking, this is great. Everyone's having a blast. And then the people who are making this shit could be making some money for themselves out of it, which is great. Yeah, 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 totally. Yeah, it was. Did you have that kind of business sense when you were putting on? The course, the stuff at Corsica Studios, and um, where was the other place you said? At Bussy. So Bussy, actually, funnily enough, at the beginning, that started as a, I can't remember what came first, but I'm pretty sure we were running club nights before that. But Bussy came, I was like, we were trying to raise funds for our, because for, we, we did a, a bunch of design shows and design fairs, uh, kind of more public facing ones. Um, and to raise money, people were baking cakes and stuff. And I was like, this is so fucking dumb. Like, what, what are you going to do? Like, it, like invest your like one pound 50 into, into this thing. I was like, let's, let's do something better. So suggested club nights. And they were like, if you want to do that, fine. So that kind of birthed uh, a night that we started running, that we put the money back into the, into the, the course stuff. Uh, yeah. and we had hands on deck from people who I was working with on my course. Um, that's so we smart. Making- yeah, we were making a lot of money at the time. And then I think we first had a Friday night, became extremely successful. Then they pushed us to Thursday because they made Friday in-house. And then we lost Thursday because that then became in-house as well. Um, so, I mean, at that point, the core stuff had finished and my friend and I were running it together. My friends and I, sorry, were running it together. Um, and we moved to book club. Yeah, I, I kind of like carried on for a while and then that whole thing petered out over a period of time because I think like I mean I don't know if you've seen this but the the, the club land I mean for many reasons but the club landscape in clubbing landscape in London has just changed dramatically over the last 10 years from you know thinking about warehouse parties to club nights to just like I guess I don't know for me I think a lot of it largely is to do with social media and how people want to be perceived and the experiences mm. that people and experiences and expectations people uh, want now. I don't know much about the, the clubbing, the clubbing venues, but certainly in terms of, in terms of the, the pub come venue there, they, they became so much harder to put on gigs. We like friends used to put on shows around Camden at the black Heart and mm. the, um, a couple of other places and it's just after a while, the rent got too high or, you know, the owners wanted, the managers wanted more rent. And I mean, I think that is really why the windmill in Brixton birthed that whole thing that everyone's talking about right now is the fact that Tim, who's, you know, the the the, the, the booker there, the kind of in-house guy, you know, you shoot him an email. It doesn't cost you anything to put on a gig. 
Yeah, he's just about the music. I mean, I yeah, I don't know him personally, but from all of the bands that we've been associated with who've come from that scene, it seems. I mean, I guess yeah, stayed true to the to to the DIY nature of what it's always been about, or what that gig scene has always been about. And there's a there's a venue here called the Bird's Nest. It's the, it's the same deal. What if you want to put on a gig? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Great venue. So many good shows I've been to there. It's so great, isn't it? And you know, it's just down my road. It's our local. I don't even look on the internet to see what's going on. I, in a way, I don't want to. I'm like, this is great. Turning up, have a surprise night. You know, some days you'll be you'll be really surprised in a good way. You know, and it's so worth it every few months to go to a really great small tiny pub gig. Oh, I love that. Definitely, definitely. Those those events are preferable to me than than the planned ones. And knowing that you're just going to be surrounded by like, I don't know, just such a range of people there all crammed into mm-hmm. this tiny venue. That for me is where the spirit of, I don't know, what I enjoy doing with my friend. That for me is like the spirit of what I enjoy about music, about, you know, why I like doing this podcast, why I like reading books about music. Do you know what I mean? It's all these people, none of that crap, just, you know, go and enjoy yourself. Yeah. And no preconceived notions about, who's going to be there who should be there what kind of gig it is or whatever it's just like there's going to be a show I've seen some amazing shows there I remember like I I want to say like six months but maybe it was longer than that maybe like a let's say within a year of of uh, Comet Comet is coming um who are good friends of ours being nominated for their their Mercury we were there for, for one of their shows that our friend Ray was putting on at Bird's Nest and I remember them playing this t- playing this tiny stage in the Bird's Nest being like this is just ridiculous this is so epic this is like there's so much amazing stuff that you can hear in these spaces it's you know whether or not they received the merits of an award or whatever or gone on to bigger and better things they're they're uh, kind of operating within these same musical spaces we're all that we that we're all in that we're all sharing and it's cool because it doesn't it doesn't it's not perverse about the popularity of it exactly you know what i mean yeah 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 exactly everyone's kind of on the same level plane i really i dig that yeah and that using kind of running with that specific example no one goes like oh well you know mercury nominated band have played the bird's nest so it's really cool now it's like no one gives a shit actually all bands (laughs) all bands are equal all musical people are equal all people in that in that institution are equal if you're the Mm. same we're all you know within the same space i guess i don't know if that's what you were kind of saying no that is exactly what I'm saying. The fact that, you know, enjoying yourself and not really caring about trends ultimately and as cliche as it sounds. Yeah, exactly. And I think does that, does that kind of, I mean, clearly we're, we're in agreement of that. Do, do, do you try and um, harness that kind of good feeling in, in, in what you're doing now? Yeah, absolutely. So coming back to my current project, um, Meribai, it's like the kind of the very, um, it's kind of built on the concrete of inclusivity. Like Maripai means my brother in Hindi. It just made so much sense to me that that would be the name that I would call the project because I'd never want to be, there's always this thing. I, I It kind of really stressed me out over the years of social media and of the sort of public perception of, of um, artists. That's why I was like so interested in your podcast. And I think it's so great interviewing people who have this duality and who have these jobs and these other lives because you're kind of put on a pedestal and there's this expectation that you're this thing. And it's like, well, no, actually, I don't want to be looked up to at all. I don't want to be treated any differently. And also, you know, 
there's this there's this yeah this preconceived notion about what it is or what it means to be an artist and by way of having this podcast you're deconstructing that which is amazing and so fascinating as well but Thank you. it was like I don't know I it was like well I want to be relatable and even within the music that I make it's always about it's always about kind of you know weaving um between like different cultures and sounds and juxtaposing things and like you know things that would be received in a in like a, a club tent at a festival or a club space but will fit in many different um situations that people can it'll be received by people from different places the same way absolutely and i think you know thinking of yourself as something bigger you know i, I think that definitely takes away from the quality the quality of your work you know if you're really I imagine you know you're trying to discover yourself you don't want to be looking outside of that all too much do you yeah exactly and that's the thing I guess it's you know I guess nowadays blessing and curse having social media but constantly constantly being very hyper aware of your public image and how you engage with the outside world and having this public facing thing which I think wouldn't have been so I mean it would have the format which it would have taken would have been very different say 10 15 years ago but yeah I guess having this awareness this level of self-awareness maybe a bit of a blessing and a curse um and yeah it does take you away from just being in that moment and and just you know doing what's important which is making music yeah, absolutely. And you must have seen that firsthand with your club nights. Yeah. And the amount of people coming through the door and, you know, who they what they look like or whatever. Yeah, exactly. And that was the that's the thing that I loved about that so much is that you just you just have so many heads through the door and everyone's just there for the music. Yeah, that's great. Is and is that where you learned is that where you got into, you know, studio produced, you know, DJ production stuff? I got into that kind of stuff um actually for the most part probably around 2009 when I moved to London uh before that I was just listening to like metal and punk and hardcore um almost exclusively like one of those kind one of those people um and then from then on I started getting a lot more into like other stuff like jazz and 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 widening my um sort of my periphery of yeah what I'd listen and listen to um, but yeah, it was around then. I didn't. I didn't grow up listening to. It. Actually, no, that's a lie. I, I I did listen to some dance music when I was growing up, and I I was really into it. But I wasn't like, you know, a techno head or anything. Yeah, yeah. This is. It. I think it's quite easy to fall into these categories, you know, of of self perception. Yeah, definitely. And I guess that comes with with growing up and maturing. I guess totally. people gravitate towards these things that give them some sense of self identity. Totally. And at the risk of jumping around timelines here, where were you before London? Um, I was at boarding school um, in um, Somerset and before that in Oxfordshire. And before that, I lived, I grew up in um, Albania and Saudi Arabia and Dubai and Italy. Um, and then I was born here. And yes, yeah, so I kind of moved around a lot. My parents moved to Nigeria and I, I came here. When you think about that period of life pre-moving to London, what kind of what kind of character traits do you think? doing all that gave you I've kind of been mulling this over recently um well I guess moving around constantly has allowed me to become I guess some something of a well in a way like a social chameleon like like I'm happy to be in any any situation but I'm also like I'm just happy to be like a very much by myself but be 
to just go and do stuff by myself. Like I don't need anyone to go to a gig with or to go to a party with or to go to a club with or to go to, you know, I'm, I'm happy to just kind of do stuff. Yeah. Um, which I think has really benefited me. And yeah, I don't know if that, if that. Uh... No, it totally does. I, I have a thing and I always used to, growing up, I certainly used to do this quite a lot. We'd go to a house party, mostly you know, me and a few friends and, you know, mostly full of people we may not have known. Yeah. And I was, I was quite quick. I was quite quick to bail the wagon and explore by myself. Yeah, 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 exactly. Same. And I think that's been valuable. And also in moving around so much, for me, like seeing so many different cultures and living and I guess I've always I've always gone back to India, been back and forth from India like a couple of times a year or as much as I can, basically. Um I it's just I I don't know, seeing the kind of similarities and differences, but I don't know, I more than anything else the similarities. Um and for me it's like with musically, like it's kind of weaving this cultural through line. So yeah. like picking and choosing things and and also very much from a food perspective as well i I find that really interesting and it's it's really inspiring to me the connection between food must be i mean that must be a very cool thing that what you're working as now what you know at the at the rehab where do you you know do you feel like you're connecting all these different parts of your life together in that job massively massively you know i get to make my own menus and i get to present food to people who often by way of addiction um, and their circumstances have no relationship with food. The opportunity to live in these places obviously came with its difficulties, but at the same time, it's uh, kind of instilled this idea of like a kind of likeness in people to me, because often we look at things and things can, and still do to me from other cultures that I'm not familiar with, feel very foreign. But for me, a lot of things don't feel very foreign because I've been catapulted into so many different backgrounds and to so many different places. Um, so like kind of going to the rehab and being able to cook, you know, like Korean food, because I've, I've, I've in Albania, I grew up with, I like, had loads of Korean friends and spent loads of time in their homes and, and swapping food with each other and stuff. So like, you know, cooking Korean food to someone who was a getaway driver at one point, you know, and then be like, what is this? This is so nuts and, and offering people the opportunity to engage with food and be nourished and 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 bring back things that to me are very normal but actually i get to i don't know get to offer that to people i don't know if i'm making any sense going off on too many no, you totally yeah. are you totally are and and one of my thoughts about rehab was you know chances are if you're getting smashed all the time then you're not eating very well yeah exactly but that's also yeah exactly you're just getting smashed all, all the time and you're looking for i don't know reassurance and nourishment in the wrong places or that's what you're kind of predisposed to whereas like food and looking after yourself can be so, so nourishing and kind of giving people the opportunity and insight into being like whoa this is all this crazy food like that yeah. I'd never even heard of or think of and and then having clients come back to me when they come to visit and be like oh I've made your so and such and such a thing for my kids or for my wife or been cooking your because I you know whenever they whenever they want to we'll always give them recipes or help them out and give them advice on what to cook and what right. I think would be good for them it doesn't even need to be anything complex but I guess some people and that's the thing that I find a lot in England because of the sheer expense of it people who are on extremely low incomes eat very badly whereas in countries like India that are extremely poor everybody eats well because mm. food is cheap and the cost of living is cheap and it's just a basic right and you know basic understanding that everyone eats well 
you don't just show up to a random restaurant in India and get shit food. You get good food everywhere, basically. That's so interesting. I've never, I've never thought about that. Whereas if you go to like, you know, random calf on the corner of whatever road here, chances mm. are whatever you're going to eat is going to be great and going to taste yeah. shit. Unless you yeah. pay like 15 quid for like bougie, like duck eggs and like one piece of asparagus. And it's sad that that's the situation because food should be more, yeah, just be more democratic. Um, when we were playing a show in Valencia once, actually, our friend Morgan, who was um, tour managing us around there, was like one of their kind of phrases is that everyone has the right to eat well. Um, and that really made an impression on all of us because we were like, yeah, actually, yeah, fuck yeah. Everyone does should have the right to eat well. But unfortunately, with the way that things are here, and I don't want to poop, I'm not poo-pooing England. I do live here and I do love it here. But you have to earn your privileges and your pleasures. You have to earn the right to eat well. You have to earn the, you have to earn any of your luxuries. They don't just come. They're not yeah. just available. Yeah, English people have such arrogance about our nation. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, massively. There is a real, you know, post-colonial arrogance um, that's totally. in the air and whatever that, yeah. But I don't know. It's just um, interesting to look at that. And also, I guess, having being able to tour internationally, I get to see um what goes down <laughs> in other places yeah you know when you're bound towards europe for the first time you're like oh when you get your first kebab in like amsterdam or or just our own germany like those german kebabs are so good you're like what yeah. what are we even eating here like I, even even like our perception of what fast food is yeah. um you know it's just so different was there a time where you start in terms you know touring looking at your rider and what you're asking for I mean, that's got to have a knock-on effect of the way that, you know, you take things a little bit more professionally. doesn't mean, you know, less fun, but, you know, professionally. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I think in the last, I can't remember when, but in the last few years, we've we've leveled up. Um, we've we've collected all the HP points and leveled up at our, at our rider game and touring. And we're like, well, we spent so much time on the road. We need to, ha- we need to nourish ourselves and get and have good stuff. So it's like, you know, we want like if we're having alcohol it like whatever nice alcohol whatever but also like nuts and fruit lots of fruit lots of nuts lots of like good stuff that we can that we can snack on and not just like not just garbage basically um we're really we're we're quite funny about it because also we all have jobs like we all work on the side on a side hustle we're not being these like divas but if we're gonna tour we want to be looking after ourselves it's funny isn't it that we even have to say that you have to sort of justify not being a, you know, side note, not being a diva. I do that as well because we're so conditioned to be thinking you play music. You're lucky. Yeah. You should be grateful that you're in the situation. You're, you're in a position to share music, play music with people, for people rather. And, um, you know, I don't know. It's, it's so tricky navigating that, but I think you just have to be like, well, no, just, it should be a basic right to, to, to be treated well when you're on tour. This episode is brought to you by Paramount Plus. An unlikely friendship begins in the Paramount Plus original movie, Little Wing, starring Brooklyn Prince with Kelly Riley and Brian Cox. Reeling from her parents' divorce, Caitlin steals a valuable bird to save her home, but instead forms a bond with the owner, leading to a new outlook on life. Little Wing, now streaming exclusively on Paramount Plus. Head to ParamountPlus.com to try it free. Rated PG 13. 
And so bringing it up, you know, to, to, to today, you know, the EP Future Proof came out at the end of, well, sort of towards the tail end of last year. You know, there's not really a viable option for being a traditional touring artist in the, in the near future. How, how can you see, how do you see the near future? Um, well, I'm just trying to use the time that I have as just like a really rare opportunity again to level up and just write music and engage with like that side of my creative practice in a way that I won't, again, when touring opens up eventually, um, you know, we're going to be hitting the ground running both myself and with the band, no doubt. Um, Great. So right now I'm kind of like, well, what things can I do that I won't be able to do? What can I give more attention to and cultivate now that I won't, which is like, spending more time writing or doing stuff like live streaming sets. I'm doing loads of DJ mixes and stuff, kind of filling in the gaps, but also knowing that a lot of these things don't compensate for the loss of, of live music. You know, I think there was a huge, um, I don't know, there was a, a weird, a weird sense towards like live streaming and, and the way that things are now that like, Oh, it's never going to replace live music. And of course it's not, it's just a different thing. It's like, you know, apples and oranges, really. But it's just using this time and this situation, using whatever resources we have to provide and share music, you know, in whatever format that takes. And, you know, it's just, it's growing and changing. Are there any sort of particular avenues or ideas or, I don't know, books or movies or people who you've really kind of taken, in, in you know, inspiration from in this time, trying to stay sane? Oh, someone else asked me that and my mind went blank. Um, oh, no, a classic journo question. I'm sorry. <laughs> no, no, I don't, I just don't know, like so much different stuff. Um, I've been listening to like lots of like, oh, I, you know, listen to a lot of different stuff. Like when I make mixes, I've been listening to a lot of old Indian music. In the last few weeks, I've been listening to a lot more jazz, like Sun Ra and Pharaoh Sanders and, and all this stuff like that delving into a lot of their discographies that I hadn't because they're just like so many records. Yeah. Um, I've really been craving reading a good artist biography, if you can recommend any, because I, I was just like, I just feel like the need to be inspired in that way. Um, I do. There, there's a, um, there's some heavier bands, but there's a, there's a series called Sleeve Notes. Um, okay. And I read the one by the, the bassist of Hey Colossus. Oh, that band? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I know them well. My friend Anthony books them a lot. The one who runs, oh, he runs Baba Yaga's Hut. I don't know if you know them. I don't know. I don't know. I'm really loving this chat as well, by the way, because, you know, I, I'm just, just looking through the Moshi Moshi website. This is a scene that, or, you know, a, a group or, you know, um, scene is a big word, isn't it? Yeah. That I haven't really, you know, I, I know a bit about, but not a lot. And it's so great you know, speaking to someone from, you know, you live down the road from me in Forest Hill. It's yeah. awesome to speak to someone so close in a, in a kind of world of music that's still very new to me. Yeah. It's so different. They've got such a sort of plethora of different artists from different places, but they're great. They've, I used to listen to their stuff when I was at school and they've, you know, yeah. they've got, they've really got quite the back catalog, like Block Party, Metronomy, Florence and the Machine, Disclosure, you know, like some of those guys from that period. And, they're always just about championing whatever Stephen and Michael are into. Stephen's just, yeah, they're, they're great guys. And they, yeah, I'm, I'm really happy to be, uh, you know, part of that sort of musical family. When you're thinking of, of your, of Meribai, are you thinking, you know, obviously you're thinking about that completely differently to Flamingo's, but do you kind of have to keep those separate in your brain? How does that kind of, 
how does that compute for you in terms of writing and also making plans and yeah. allowing yourself time for it? Yeah, you're right. Yeah, I, I do. I do keep them. I mean, they they kind of they both influence each other massively, but they are, they do need to be quite separate. Also, in the fact that I with the band, everything we do is democratic, so we all agree on everything all the time, which means that our process takes a bit longer. But we're always all you know, for better or worse, always on the same page. Usually better. Um, and with my own stuff, it's very much like when I started, I was like, wow, I can just. I can just do what I want and I don't have to ask anyone <laughs> anything. Yeah. This is so nuts, um, quite overwhelming, but it's just a different thing. And both of them have their benefits. Um, but in a way, I'm not compartmentalizing too much, but it's like um, kind of going between two. I, I kind of give each thing its own time. But yeah, and actually you were saying, sorry, I was just thinking, funnily enough, you were saying about how we're just down the road from each other, but, you know, exploring scenes and like Forest Hill is, full of musicians like full and always has been like one of my um one of my neighbors I um he's much older dude he's been living here since the 80s but we kind of swap music and he makes me these mix CDs um of all sorts of stuff uh and he's like he was saying since the 80s there's always been loads of bands living around here like stuff from loads of um like post-punk bands and I think I'm pretty sure he said some of the guys oh no no yellow was Swiss but like there's loads of bands who are um, operating and playing here there's a venue which has turned into this like hilarious Nigerian club with like gold pillars and stuff but that used to be a venue that like the Rolling Stones and the Beatles played at one point because right. Forest Hill used to have like a massive high street and was really popular at one point wow. it's just interesting to look at the sort of changing physical landscape as well as musical landscape of London Absolutely. It does, it does seem to be, you know, up in North London with the Kinks and Al, uh, you know, at Al, sorry. And then in South London, you know, it's like the squeezes and the, the dire straits. And yeah, you know, yeah, yeah, exactly. Oh, funnily enough, I did a, I did a songwriting course with Chris Difford from Squeeze. Um, amazing. A few months ago. Yeah. Wow. Over Zoom as part of this funding. And I found myself within the first, you know, as yeah, it's, I think, first couple of months of lockdown being on a zoom call with Nile Rogers and Christopher Squeeze. <laughs> so funny. You were a pupil in, in that zoom call, were you? How was, well, how was the, that zoom, like? the zoom call was just to kind of chat about music and, and inspiration and influences. But I would, the, we were doing these regular zoom, it was like a zoom course with Chris, um, like a songwriting course where we were collaborating and doing stuff kind of quite oh, quickly on the fly. And then, the week it finished, he was like, oh, I've got a very special guest for you guys who, who, who will want to chat to you guys. And I was like, what? This is, so, this is so weird. So surreal being in lockdown. And I think that was, sorry, just coming out of lockdown, that was the first or second day that I got to see my girlfriend after like four months or something. Wow. Uh, and we were just like sat there on the screen, like grinning from ear to ear, like, what? What even is this? It's so weird. Just such a weird situation with the pandemic going on and that, and that. very surreal. Yeah. yeah, amazing. Well, Karthik, our hour's coming up. Thank you so much for being up for doing this. Oh, my pleasure. Thank you so much for taking the time to talk to me. I hope I haven't gone off on like infinite tangents and like random unanswered questions and uh, stuff. Nonsense, not at all, not at all. And it's been so amazing to learn about the kind of bands that are in that you've been, you know, kind of orbiting for, for all these years. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and that's the the beauty of it, isn't it? Like that you, I guess you probably have this so much, you're interviewing all these artists and you get to pick up influences 
that you wouldn't expect from all these different people and places. Totally. And, and it has made me feel a little bit more, it, it really makes you, makes you realize how many artists, how many bands there are. Yeah, so and many. I think we can forget that, can't we? Yeah, totally. So there's just so many in our own circles. Um, yeah, <laughs> but yeah, it's so cool, and that that for me is such a wonderful feeling. That's that's a big feeling of love. Yeah, yeah. I same. One of my big fears is one of my big sort of anxieties slash, I guess you know, small depressions. I suppose is you know not not finding stuff that's new i get scared about not you know just kind of running around the same old circles in my brain you know whether it's uh, artists or the same music or the same thoughts that i have in a day do you know what i mean like yeah same yeah yeah, yeah definitely yeah definitely it's so easy to do that as well to fall into these little traps um hard to pull yourself out of but yeah, yeah. so great sometimes when you do so like when i sorry, I'm, I'm gonna let you go but when i first uh, when i just got back into listening to jazz my girlfriend's dad gave me a sun ra record for christmas and i was oh. like um because they're jazz musicians as well i was just like this is exactly what i needed to hear i felt like i was in such a rut with not finding new stuff i was like this is exactly what i needed to clean my ears out with amazing so and good. it's funny how you find that in places you don't necessarily expect to yeah oh definitely definitely and that's going back to our early conversation about just showing up at a a venue and being like right well what's on now that that's where that can come from too massively massively i think we should shout out bird's nest and the windmill in brixton again yeah definitely uh, big ups to those guys you gotta like find out you know where your mates got the next managing job at at a pub and try and convince them to to put put some get a pa in the back room that is such a thing though, isn't it? I've had so many mates who've jumped on like random pubs that I've schlepped it across London to, to show up for a gig, to a gig where I'm like, oh man, I'm definitely not going to come back here. <laughs> totally, totally. Amazing. Karthik, thank you so much. My pleasure. My pleasure. Speak soon, dude. So there was Merabai. Thank you so much for listening to this podcast. If you enjoy it, please subscribe. I'm already looking forward to next week's episode. Cheers for coming along this journey. There, there was a moment there that I really loved where Karthik sort of said that this show, this podcast deconstructs the idea that lots of people have about artists. And aside from making me feel quite good, that actually that's given me a new look of what I'm doing here that's given me some fuel that's kind of galvanized what I'm doing so let's go in that direction cheers for listening here's Cox Barrow I've been working all day for me mate on the side been running around like a blue ass fly I've been working yeah I've been working all day for me mate every blink minute I've been on the go This is a Mighty Moon Media Podcast.